For KUSP's Life Under the Lights, I'm Rick Kleffel. Premiering tonight for the Cabrillo College Spring Theater Arts production is Oscar Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest, directed by Joseph Ribeiro. KUSP visited Ribeiro with the cast and crew on the set of this wonderful and timeless comedy. I asked director Ribeiro how he chose this play. We try in our department to touch on many genres so that the students get an idea of tragedy, comedy, period plays, modern plays. Beyond that, each director can choose a play that they want. So it was my turn to direct this semester, and I thought, let's have a little laugh for a change. Although behind the laugh, there's a bite, of course. In all good comedy, there's always a bite. That bite comes from the poisonous pen of Oscar Wilde. Yes, I won't use the B word. (laughs) But he was sharp, uh, articulate, um, and punny. You know, uh, social order, the whole idea of rank and and, uh, the elitist society as opposed to the servant society. Sexism. uh, The dandy is in there. Almost as if Oscar Wilde was writing a part for himself in Algernon a sort of ebullient dandy who's got, you know, an answer for everything, and uh, the world was made for him. (laughs) According to Ribeiro, language is the key to Wilde's work and a challenge for the performers. He's so full of puns and witticisms and sharp, appropriate remarks and uh, reductions of things into, you know, a short little um, epigram, if you like. It's quite incredible, and it's going on and on and on. It's not like a one-off, you know. Most of the plays are like that. Incredible. It's period, it's style, it's language, which will, you know, really encourage kids to study the language carefully and improve their own vocabulary and style and speaking and so on. It's tricky for the students because it's not their normal, you know, um, shortish sentences, etc. They're long, involved communiques. Um, but they're doing splendidly. And once they sort of get it, they really are, uh, I'm very proud of them. Good heavens, is marriage so demoralizing as I... I believe it is a very pleasant state, sir, but I've had very little experience of it myself up to the present. You see, sir, I have only been married once. But Ribeiro says it's not just Wilde's command of language that makes his work seem so contemporary. And also, I think, his private history of beyond all that and being the, you know, sort of the, the darling of London, as it were, and the theatrical people, the, the upper classes, etc., etc. And then the complete opposite of that, ending in shame and in prison and, you know, leaving England and being buried in, in foreign soil and all that, uh, that come down uh, because of the narrow-mindedness and the Victorian, you know, I guess not only Victorian but of their sexual ethics and their, you know, all that stuff. I asked Ribeiro about casting for the play. Though the play focuses on a set of young lovers, not everyone in the play is young, and not all the performers are students, at least not at first. It certainly is a play for youngish people uh, because the two sets of lovers are very young. We've also got some community players as well for the older parts. Well, not older parts, but you know what I mean, for Lady Bracknell, for Dr. Chasuble, for Miss Prism. And so uh, obviously uh, the community, being a community college, are invited to audition besides our students. And once they get the part, they become a student. They all sign on for the course, as it were. Ribeiro says the Victorian morals that condemned Wilde to an ignominious death are the target of his poisonous pen in the importance of being earnest. 
what kicks it off is Wilde's idea and poking fun at Victorian, as you say, mores and social class of this class never worked. What did they do all day? How did they fill their time? Eating, drinking, going to the theatre, dressing, and looking for things to fill their day, driving in their carriage through the park, etc., etc. Et so there's this certain class of people that he is uh, parodying. And yet they're very endearing people because they, they are themselves. They don't know any better. And they expect their servants to, te- to be examples of morality for them. So there's all these inversions which are terribly comic throughout the play. There's all these inversions uh, of what you expect. He turns it on its head and so it makes it even, even funnier. It's a wonderful gallop through society, poking fun at Victorian stuffiness and morals and, you know, uh, uh, upper-class attitudes, and also middle-class, too, because the middle-class from Dickens onwards uh, you know, got their fair share of poking. These classic themes give the play a timeless feel that make it relevant to this day. One of my themes when I lecture, uh, uh, formally not teach acting, but when I d- teach the appreciation course, is that nothing has changed since Adam and Eve, or whatever your creation myth is. Human beings are the same, with the same foibles, the same strengths, the same weaknesses, the same whatever. It's just that the circumstances change, the technology changes, the knowledge bank changes. But down deep, tickle us all and we're the same. Nothing's changed. Even the brutality in all of us, it's still there. I think Wilde and other uh, comic writers poke fun at that and laugh at that and yet still hold up that mirror, as it were, Hamlet said, uh, to sort of say, can you see yourself in here? Can you recognize anything in this? Yeah. And of course we all can. A production like this takes more than actors and a director. We have three experts, the lighting guy, the set guy who designed the set, the lighting designer, and the costume, Maria Crush, Skip Epperson did the set, and Marcel did the lighting. And they just, they're like magic. I don't have to do anything. It's just, you'll see it. It's just magnificent. So for a director to have that sort of a team is, you know, God-given, heaven-sent. At a rehearsal for the play, I talked to Marcel Chu about the challenges of creating lighting for a play set over a hundred years ago. Well, with uh, this play, we were really going for realism in the set as well as in the lighting. Um, It was just uh, using a lot of patterns, um, giving a really natural feel to the set. Just uh, simple lighting, actually, letting um, the scenery speak for itself. It's not a very flashy show, but it's a lot of fun. Set designer Skip Epperson told me to create the period-perfect rooms and furniture we see, he used high-tech resources. Everything comes from from uh, research and in, in ground plans and, and there's computer draftings and uh, renderings, architectural renderings, and even a quarter-inch scale model. It's all planned out ahead of time, and then we build it to, to spec. Costume designer Maria Crush told me that designing costumes for a play set more than 100 years ago involved difficulties for the actors and actresses as well as her department. Well, the first thing we did was we didn't set it in exactly the, the time of the play. We pushed it forward just a little bit so it's in Edwardian England as opposed to Victorian England. And you're thinking, hmm, why does that matter? It does. In the shape of the clothing, uh, the women don't have to wear excruciatingly painful petticoats and corsets. The men's ties are a little bit more breathable with neck room. So subtle differences, subtle sh- shape. Um, it's all challenging when you do a period show 
just finding the costumes or building the costumes and we have glorious hats which is a challenge for the actors to learn how to walk around with your head held high with a big old hat on it. <laughs> Maria was quick to crush any stereotypes one might have about where she gets the costumes. In this show, nothing came out of a thrift store. <laughs> uh, fabrics are really important. Uh, the look of them, this is a very high society, rich society look that we needed to bring to the stage. So. And you won't find this kind of thing in thrift stores. I had to go to L.A. to buy shoes for some of the cast members because they needed to look period, especially the men's shoes. Certain look for the men, you're thinking how important is that, but when you're sitting down below the level of their feet, the first thing you see are feet. And if they cross their legs, we want to be sure that the shoes look period, look close to period. These people have to... We have to approximate the period, and we, we want people to believe that they're there. And it helps the actors as well. So, so no thrift store. <laughs> According to Maria, she works with Marcel Chu's lighting design and Skip Epperson's sets to ensure that the costumes project the right image. They have to project, uh, number one, they have to, let's say, match or fit into the scenic part of it. And the lighting designer, scenic designer, lighting designer, costume designer, all work together. We start out with a palette. We know we have a period. And they have to fit. I'm certainly not going to have someone up there in the same shade as the wallpaper. Because then they disappear. Um, but projecting, the, it's, it's an outline, uh, a line. Uh, even if you're really not familiar with a particular period, you'll, you'll know almost... Instinct, your instinct will tell you, oh, that is certainly of another time. I'm not quite sure, is it Edwardian England? Is it Victorian England? But you know that it's, it's a different time, and I need to show that up there. Uh, whether it's longer skirts, silhouette on the ladies, hats, different silhouette for the men. Uh, we have a lot of young men in the show that have probably never worn period costumes. So it was interesting for them to get used to the fact of, oh, natural waistlines. <laughs> as opposed to, I'm wearing it down around my hips. <laughs> so, yeah, these are all little subtle things, especially for new actors, new young actors. They, get used, they have to get used to being in a different time. It's, I tell them it's time travel. Easy way. Angie Chrisman plays Lady Bracknell with a little help from her friends. I think there's a bit of Lady Bracknell in all of us, and uh, I just, uh, I accessed my inner Bracknell, first of all, and then it seems, you know, when you start talking about things like this with your friends, you find there are other people everywhere who have played Lady Bracknell, who love the character Lady Bracknell. I had tons of thoughts and advice from people around me as well, so that was lots of fun. Christopher Shelton plays Jack Worthing, one of the leads. He told me that Wilde's language offered a challenge that was worth the effort. It's so packed full of puns and jokes and wit and epigrams that you have to really decide what are you going to bring out and what are you going to play subtly. And, and it's a real journey. It's been a real pleasure to work with Joe because he really gets it all. He finds, he pulls everything out of the script, everything there is. It's good. Chris Carr, who plays the other male lead, Algernon Moncrief, had to rethink more than just language as he took on the part of a dandy Wilde himself might have played. The hardest part for me as an actor was to really execute the words of Oscar Wilde's piece. It is by itself a masterpiece work, let alone to bring life to it and to bring some sort of realism 
to his words and getting that sense of the time of being this posh dandy and how to, I had to rethink everything. I had to rethink how I stand, how I shift my weight, how I hold my energy, how do I look at people who are my friends, who are my servants, who are, and that is unheard of nowadays. And so there's a lot of history in this piece as well as artistic opportunities. Daniel Crook plays Cecily, a girly girl who learns the lessons of the title in the play. She's really excited about boys, and I don't think she gets to see very many where she lives, kind of hold away in the country. And so she hears a lot about this man named Ernest, who is her, bro- is her guardian's brother. And she falls in love with him, and she makes a, an entire story about him in her diary. And she just creates this whole fantasy life in her diary that doesn't get um, explained until she actually meets the real Ernest, who's actually Algernon. Like many of the performers, Kelly Willis, who plays the other female lead, Gwendolyn, found the language a challenge and an inspiration with the help of director Joseph Ribeiro. The language was a big barrier for us young Americans to get through. Ribeiro helped a lot with that. There's a lot of undertones of um, homosexual jokes or what have you that, um, yeah, it took a lot for us to understand the timing of the comedy and the type of the comedy, how you deliver the lines. Uh, We had pretty much sit-down sessions every rehearsal for a while just to break down the language and get a grasp for it and deliver it in a successful way. (laughs) The importance of being earnest plays on Fridays and Saturdays at 8 p.m. and Sundays at 3 p.m. from this evening's premiere through May 4th at Cabrillo Theater, Cabrillo College, 6500 Soquel Drive in Aptos. Tickets are $15 general, $12 for seniors, $10 for students with an activity card. Call 479-6331 or go to www.ticketguys.com for tickets. For more information, call 831-479-6299. With the talent on stage and off, with the help of director Joseph Ribeiro, the cast and crew do indeed bring to life the words of Oscar Wilde and demonstrate the importance of being earnest. You can't help but smile, even if you feel you're being played like a piano. For KUSP and Life Under the Lights, I'm Rick Kleffel. Did you hear what I was playing, Lane? I didn't think it polite to listen, sir. I'm sorry for that for your sake. I don't play accurately. Anyone can play accurately. But I play with wonderful expression. 